Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Well, I wanna go ahead and thank all the ladies here for setting an atmosphere this weekend of miracles and breakthrough. It was a powerful, powerful time together and uh, every session, every single session was phenomenal. And I just, I just so excited for what, what God's gonna birth in the women and what God's gonna kind of transact in the lives and the change that's gonna come from this. Because I always know it's great what happens at conference, but what comes out of conference is even better. And so I'm so excited for that. And it was an amazing conference. I, I, I want to just give you one update too, by the way. You know, as you know, we have closed on the building. We now own a building, which is so exciting. Like, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild to know. And I want to give you an update that we are working really, really intently to... Uh, work on some partnerships. As we mentioned last week, there is a church that has been in that building, renting the building for the last 20 years, ALCF, and we're trying to work really hard together to figure out how does a church share a space? How does a church work together as they are in the transition season out and we're a transition season in? We're working really good. So we'd love your prayers. We'd love you to pray that God would fit things together and mold things together. I feel like out of all the things that God can do in the Bible and has done in the Bible, He can help two churches work together for a great outcome and for His glory. How many people believe that nothing is impossible for our God? And so we're standing together and, and leaning in to, to, to see how God can work that for His glory. Amen. However, today I'm excited to continue in our series on evangelism. <laughs> evangelism. It's terrifying. And we're, uh, we're figuring it out in a series called No Time to Die. And we kicked that off last Sunday. So while you stay standing, go with me to the book of Acts real quick. Grab your Bible out, your digital device, your paperback, hardcover. Go with me to Acts because what we're going to find in Acts 10 we got a monumental moment for the early church involving Cornelius, the Roman army officer, the apostle Peter, and the first baptism of Gentile believers. And as a result, Peter is explaining himself before the Jewish believers as to why on earth he entered a Gentile's home. And in Acts chapter 11, that's where I wanna start verse one. In my Bible, this section is entitled, Peter Explains His Actions. It says, soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the Word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down in its four corners from the sky and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean that, that, that I, God, has made clean. This happened to me three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. Just then three men who had uh, been sent from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go down with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. 
He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit filled them just as He fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift He gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? <laughs> I wanna speak to you today from the subject Peter explained. Peter explained, simple title for our second installment in our series, No Time to Die. And if you are ready in the overflow of God's anointing today and ready for the Word of God, quickly, as fast as you can, find four or five people around you, no matter what location you're at today, and just fist bump them, head bump them, knee bump them, hip bump them, do something to let them know you're ready to receive more from Jesus Christ. Go ahead, go ahead, San Francisco. Go ahead, Palo Alto. Let's go. Let's, let's get after it. Peter explained. Here's a question. You ever wondered what makes a good evangelist? No? Okay. Great. This is going to be a really slow Sunday. I've always wondered what makes a good evangelist. I remember as a kid going to crusades. I was a church kid. Any church kids here? You went to like crusades and oh great, we went to crusades together and lots of different outreach events and youth rallies, you know, because I grew up in the church. So it was, it was common for me to be at a, at a large gathering with thousands of people and evangelists who would always be speaking from their wild testimony. It was always, it was like this great, crazy testimony. And each and every time I would sit there just amazed at just what God had done in their life. And their, their story always included like them coming out of drugs or prostitution or, or, or some crazy background story, like a dramatic moment where their life had been transformed. You know, they were in prison. They were in gangs. It was all this crazy story. And I would look at it and think, man, this is incredible. That makes a great evangelist. Like I'd come out of some crazy hardship. Man, that, that was, in fact, when I was in school, we had this guy who came to our school who was born with no arms and no legs. And he was telling his testimony. Literally, our whole school got saved after that. I'm like, that, that's unfair. Like I remember one time being at a youth rally. It was like this big youth rally thing called XO Day. It was going to be amazing. And I remember sitting at this youth rally and, and the speaker was incredible. The speaker had, had been an orphan and, and was telling, just seamlessly connected the, the fact that he was an orphan, but then he had found that he was adopted into God's family, woven together so seamlessly. I'm like, man, I want to get saved again. And yet I remember at the end of that thinking, how could, how could, how could I do that? What have I got? I can't do what he does. I got parents. In fact, last week we looked at Paul and we realized that Paul, Paul was, was that, that evangelist guy. Paul had a monumental 
moment. He had an unparalleled, magnificent story of transformation coming from darkness to light. And for the sake of the series, I have to point out that at one point he had a double O status. Now, if you are not a James Bond fan, shame on you. However, let me illuminate what a double O status means. It means you have a license to kill. Paul, at one point in his life, literally had letters authorizing him to kill. Kill Christians, anybody who was of the way that was opposing the way that he was following. And he would got Paul in that moment, right when he had license to kill, he was after Christians, he became a Christian. That makes for a very emphatic speech. Makes for an epic moment when you're trying to evangelize the gospel. You can point to the darkness that you were in, the immediate transformation that I was this way. Now look at me. It is very, very convincing to see the tangible evidence of God's goodness, His grace, and His mercy in your life because you get to see it in me. You get to see it in me. And I love that. That's a great evangelism tool. But what happens when it's not that distinct? I mean, it's distinct. You know, God brings us from darkness to light. And so the transformation within us is good. But on the surface, it sometimes is not so different. Not so. That's why I love Peter, by the way. Because Peter, we have in Scripture, is more of the uh, Christian kid. He, Peter is more of the guy that grew up in church. And more than just that one distinct moment in Peter's life, what we will have, as you'll find, is that there is pretty much a series of moments that represents Peter, that presents Peter. Peter, Peter is a guy who, who ultimately had a Amazing moments. We see it in Scripture. We see it all throughout the Bible, the different moments that make up Peter and makes Peter so powerful. And maybe I could actually take a moment to explain Peter this morning, since that is the title of our sermon, Peter Explained, because out of every biblical character, it is actually widely accepted that Peter is the most relatable. Like, I guarantee you, most of the time, if you ask anybody who they relate to in the Bible, they're probably going to front up with Peter. Peter. Oh man, I know Peter. I get Peter. Nobody says Jesus, but you should. But, but you know, because you, you have a fair estimation of yourself. However, Peter, I got him. He's my dude. You know, Peter put his foot in it. You know about Peter. Peter is relatable. And firstly, it's evident that Peter was certainly radical in his devotion to Jesus. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. He was bold in his statements and in his beliefs and what is ultimately revealed through the Scriptures in the way that he often spoke long before he even gave himself time to think is that he was pretty brash. This is Peter. As a character, like all of us, Peter had strong moments and he had weak moments. That's what makes him relatable. Like classic Peter for me is Peter who has probably his most monumental moment in Scripture in, Acts, in Matthew chapter 16, in fact, where he identifies Jesus as the Messiah. We just talked about that in our previous series, how powerful that was. Imagine just being Peter at the top of his game. Like right at the top of his game, amongst his peers, he gets highlighted as Jesus, not only saying that this is the rock, but everything from here on out is being built upon that. He's like strutting. He is bold. He is excited. But classic Peter, no more than six verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like the dichotomy of Peter we get. We get, we get it. We get it coming out of women's conference at Vibe Girl Conference. You're there, God's transforming you. But this week, guess what's going to happen? The same habits are going to be there to, to haunt you and remind you that you didn't make it that far. You didn't come all that way. 
You know, you, you had a weekend, okay. You're going to make it a lifestyle. And so, so Peter had the up moments, he had the down moments, and Peter was so passionate, so passionate that when Jesus was trying to give an example of, of how to serve one another by washing their feet, G Peter's like, no, no, he objects. He says, no, my feet, Lord, no, no, how dare you? So understand, and, and then Jesus literally says, hey, Peter, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you can't be one of my disciples. So Peter says, then wash all of me, Lord. <laughs> and Jesus is like, this got weird. <laughs> I ain't doing that. That's Peter. We get Peter. Peter is so relatable. That's exactly how we would act. We, we're like Peter. We're up, we're down, we're passionate when we're not meant to be. We're not passionate when we're meant to be. We confuse the moment. We get it conflicted. We, 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 we second guess ourselves. And when we should second guess ourselves, we don't. We go right in. This is Peter. Peter was reactionary. See that from the moment Jesus was arrested in the garden. He had a short attention span. He literally fell asleep while praying with Jesus. Some of you fall asleep in my sermon. That's forgivable, but don't fall asleep on Jesus. He even went from being the unofficial spokesperson of the disciples, like just nominated himself. He was the unofficial spokesperson at the height of Jesus' ministry, but also denied him at his lowest moment. And not only was Peter bold about his loyalty and his love for Jesus, what you're going to find through the story of Peter is that he was headstrong and very emotional. Anybody emotional here? You just want to be free today. You want to get a moment of freedom just to admit. Emotions can be a strength. Amen. I'm an emotional guy. In fact, Jesus used two different names for Peter. Two different names. And he would, he would alternate in the use of them as well. Like, that's, that's powerful when, when he gave him a new name, but now and then when Peter was acting like old Peter, he would use the old name. Like, there are moments in Scripture where Jesus would alternate. There were times to call him Simon, and sometimes he'd call him Peter. Sometimes he'd blend them together, but you know what I mean? Like, he was just helping Peter acknowledge which dude you're being in this moment. Like, like that's powerful to know that Peter still struggled with the old Pete. The old old guy was still there. And in any given moment, you look at Peter and how he's acting and how he's performing and pulling himself up. I think what makes him so relatable is we see ourselves in that every day. We see ourselves in that same tension and that same struggle. That's what makes Peter relatable. On top of all of this, Peter was excitable. He was committed, repentant, obedient. He had some pretty monumental moments in Scripture. I'll give him that, that much. In, in fact, for a fisherman, Peter experienced a miraculous catch of fish after obeying Jesus as a, as a disciple. He walked on water. He, he was there and one of the only few that witnessed the transformation firsthand. As an apostle, he preached at Pentecost. He healed a lame man and he stood up to the authorities. Peter was bold. He was present. He was attentive, even though he was forgetful. This is, this is, this is me. This is me. And yet out of all of the tension, out of everything Peter is, Peter was the one responsible ultimately to bring instrumental at least the, the gospel to Samaria and here we see to the Gentiles. In fact, to really explain Peter, you have to simply look at his whole life, not so much one distinct moment. 
not one just distinct moment, one moment that stands out from the rest. There is a series of things, a series of events, a series of moments for Peter that really shaped who he is. Unlike with Paul, Paul had a distinct moment on the road to Damascus. Everything from that moment changed. He was consistent from that moment on. Peter would go from consistent to inconsistent. Peter would fluctuate. An accumulation of moments throughout his his life that produces the Peter that we know and see here in this passage, doing something unprecedented, by the way, opening the gospel to the non-Jewish world. And here I'm wondering if we can relate. I'm wondering if we can relate to the kind of Peter that we see in this passage, the one who is conflicted at best, at times confused, passionate, but unsure of himself, and yet doing something monumental for God. I'm wondering if you've ever considered your story more as a series of small events rather than one singular dramatic moment. Because this is exactly what we have here in Acts chapter 10 and 11. We have a a series of events working together simultaneously to, to really break the gospel out of Jewish autonomy and into and making it available really to everyone of which we are now the beneficiaries. And believe it or not, this section of Scripture is probably one of the most monumental moments in the early church. Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 are pretty much the same thing. Like there are whole verses, like like there's a verse in the Bible that you can break down all theology from, from one single verse. Here we've got two dedicated chapters. So just by sheer amount of pencil space that the Bible has attributed to this section, you've got to emphasize the importance of it. If, it. if it's taken up two chapters to say exactly the same thing, it must be significant. And many scholars believe that this is the turning point for the church. This was the moment and it involves... Peter, Peter, who who was so hungry that he fell into a trance. I love that that is Peter. I just got Peter on a deeper level. Peter, in fact, and and I love this because what we've got in Acts chapter 10 is the situation. What we read in Acts chapter 11 is the explanation. But what, and it's almost the same. It's like a paraphrase. But what I love is that Peter left out the fact that he was in a trance was because he was so hungry. Acts chapter 10 gives us full perspective and preview as to why he fell into a trance. In fact, let me go ahead and show you Acts chapter 10 verse 1. Stick with me for a moment. This is an incredible setup here. It says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout God-fearing man as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. One afternoon about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel and the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner who lives in near, near the seashore. And as soon as the angel had gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier and one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them to Joppa. Check this out, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
I don't know if you've ever been that hungry. I've been close. I've been close. I remember as a kid, you know, you'd go out to like soccer training and you'd come back and you'd be like so hungry, but you didn't even know it until you started smelling mom's cooking. You know what I mean? What mom was like, and then all of a sudden when you get the, the scent of it, you realize the appetite was there. And then all of a sudden the pain followed and I didn't fall into a trance, but I was pretty close. Here we have Peter who's hungry, but while the meal is still cooking, he's up on the rooftop and he goes into a trance, goes into a trance, goes into a, a vision. No, his hunger didn't cause the trance, but it certainly influenced his vision. Because while he's in the trance, he starts thinking about food. Literally, he has this sheet comes down. And in the sheet is all these wild animals. Now, he's got his conflict with his old religious life and his new life in Christ. Where... Upon seeing all these animals, everything in his nature and his upbringing would have been saying one thing, like saying, don't eat that. It's unclean. And literally, as in the trance, he's having the thought about don't eat it. A voice from heaven says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. His immediate response is, no, Lord. That ain't happening. I'm too smart for this. I will not be tricked. As hungry as I am, I'm going to deny the flesh and I am not going to partake of anything that is unclean. My whole life, in fact, he says, I have never partaken of anything that our Jewish laws say is unclean and not going to happen right now, especially not in a trance. And three times he has this argument with God. Three times he has this argument. God says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And three times he objects. Peter loves threes for some reason, you know. <laughs> and you have to understand this is a, a deep cavern for Peter to cross. His entire life he's mentally been trained to not only eat what is considered clean. It's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's been a rhythm. It's been a mentality. It's been something he's been indoctrinated with. Eat clean. Eat clean. Eat clean. Eat clean. And this wasn't just certain animals that were considered clean. There were people that were also considered clean and unclean. And so what God was trying to do through this vision, using his appetite, using his hunger, was trying to break down an understanding around what God considered clean and what he was being indoctrinated with. That he was indoctrinated with something. And what God was trying to do was open up his mind that it's not what your customs have considered clean, but whatever I call clean, you need to see as clean. You need to open up your mind and understand. And if, if you're sitting here and you're feeling like you cannot connect because your modern world, you eat whatever you want, regardless of your traditional backgrounds, allow me to illuminate a narrative that has been subtly indoctrinating society for the last two years. It says, stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Oh, you weren't ready for that. Stay, stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Trying to make sure the people at the back hear me. Stay safe. And it sounds good. Like eat clean. Eat clean. Don't eat unclean. That food is unclean. Those people are unsafe. And all it does is it creates this perimeter around your life, disconnecting you and removing you 
from any realm of activity or influence that would fulfill the purpose of God on your life. You see, this idea of eat clean wasn't for Peter's benefit. It was inoculating him from being effective in the mission of Jesus because he saw not only food as unclean, but Gentiles as unclean. Do not mistake the fact that message stay safe means I remove myself from society because they are unsafe to my health. Oh, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. I thought I was saying it real clear. I thought, I love the back row stand. Oh, no, they just don't have seats. Okay. I'll take it as a stand and an amen. <laughs> if you hear something long enough, it'll indoctrinate your thinking to the point where it'll direct your life. This is a really good time to exit the service. If you don't like what I'm preaching, it's going to get a little more hairy than this. <laughs> So get out early, football's on. Make sure you get your good little popcorn seat. Just, just, just take, take cue. Feel free. Feel free. We need seats anyway. That's true. <laughs> we need seats. We've still got a couple weeks before we move into our 2,000-seat auditorium, so we need some seats in the meantime. Stay safe, stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. You believe that, you hear that for a long time. To bridge the gap between what you consider safe and what you consider dangerous doesn't matter what God calls you to. I no God, no Lord. No, no, no Lord. I gotta stay safe. I gotta stay safe. How do you bridge that mental gap? How do you bridge that mental gap from my welfare to the welfare of the humanity that God's called me to reach and bridge? Stay safe. Gee, Jesus wanted Peter to realize that what he had considered unclean up until this point, everything was changing, that he was bringing the gospel to the people group that he was far removed from. And you know this is dramatic because the very Christian believers, the Jewish believers, got wind that Peter walked into a Gentile's home and they wanted an explanation. What do you mean you went into the home of a Gentile? We thought you were an apostle. We thought you walked with Jesus. And here you are, going into all the world. Our job is to move toward people, not stay away from them. And, and so God uses beautifully Peter's hunger and a presentation of what Peter considered unclean food to create an appetite to reach what he previously considered unclean people. Unclean people. He, he literally, Jesus is masterful. He uses the real-time hunger while he's in a trance, gives him a picture of reptiles and probably pigs, wild hogs, all these things that he would never even touch, let alone eat, to illuminate that there are people that you were afraid to approach. There were people outside of your paradigm. There were family members that you had written off. There, 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 were, there were co-workers. There were employers. There were people that you had considered as not the people that you're called to minister to and reach with the gospel of Jesus. However, I need to use something to shake you up. I love to shake people up. It's something I can't turn off. It's like literally there all the time. Last week, second service, I don't know why, I just went on this rant about Halloween for some reason. I don't know what happened. I was just talking about fall, and it's October, and then all of a sudden I'm 
rebuking dumb Christians for hiding out in Halloween. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this next level. I put it on Instagram this week. And I love it because it's like, it's like evoking all the religious demons that are going to come out and start freaking out. I had people going in about, that's the devil's day. This is so sad coming from the pulpit. Because I'm talking about how dumb Christians are to be fearful about Halloween. I got three hands. The rest of you are doing this. I went in, man. I was having so much fun. I love, I got a newfound freedom. I'm commenting back nowadays. I used to let the team assemble, but now I'm like, no, stand back. Let me go. Bring all the smoke. And I honestly would love, and I went in on them because, because I'm like, this is, this, is, this is crazy. Everything you're saying is religious. You're telling me what the Satanists do on this day. As if I care what Satanists. I didn't have any. I said Halloween. Go and do your research. At the end of the day, you are meant to redeem all things as the redeemed of Christ. So don't back off and give the devil one day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I am going to move towards people. Not say Halloween. That's unclean. That's unclean. That's unclean. That's unclean. This is what Peter was saying. Oh, Halloween? No, 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 we don't do that. We do hallelujah. We don't do Halloween. We do hallelujah fest. That's what we're going to do. We're going to sanitize ourselves from the world by doing something different because we're meant to be different from the world. You are meant to be different, but you're not meant to be inoculated from it and separated from it and isolated from it. God said, go into all the world. So why don't you just take Halloween, make a party out of it. And if ghosts and goblins freak you out, don't put on Harry Potter, just put on something else. But whatever you've got to do, just move towards people. Don't consider unclean what I have determined as clean. <sighs> I feel like I'm at 30% of the congregation. So fearful, so afraid. No, Lord. It's the devil's day. This is what person said it's the devil's day. When? He doesn't get a day. His days are numbered. So there is no day that belongs to the devil. Every day belongs to the Lord. Every day belongs to the righteous. Every day is an opportunity to say, God, let this day be the day that you work through my life. Maybe, maybe there has been every normal day hasn't worked for you, but just because there is a holiday, an opportunity in the culture of society, and by the way, do not think that Christmas is safe either. The world are trying to take Christmas and make it their own as well. Go after it. Get crazy up in here. Hiding out, bolting the doors. Scary candy wanting fiends. Because every kid coming to your door is a devil worshiper, aren't they? So let's hide out from them. Greater is he who is in me than anything that is in the world. So watch me happen to the world. I'm quoting my wife. What ain't going to happen to me? I'm not, not afraid, not afraid. I'm at 50% of the congregation. I've got some work to do. But this is what literally Peter is saying. He's the same as you. That's why you're relatable. That's why you connect with Peter. Because you're like, I will serve Jesus all my life, except on Halloween. We're going to hide out. We're going to. Sir, I've seen hashtags skip Halloween. 
Why? What an awesome opportunity to be normal. You're already so weird. You are so freaking weird. And I mean that in the kindest way. Like to the world, you're weird. Not to me, I like you. But, but to the world, you're weird. You are so weird to the world. I gotta come down. I feel like I'm not connecting. I really feel like I gotta get that other 50%. Don't know why it's toward the back, but I'm making my way. You're already so weird to the world by the fact that you actually believe in one Savior, that there is one transformation power, that there is one God. The fact that you don't believe that there are many little different ways that you can get to God, that depending on your decisions and even no matter what, even if you're kind to people, that that's kind of God-like, so therefore that is a pathway to heaven. The Bible makes it very clear. And the fact that you believe that there's only one way to God makes you very, very weird and that God was born of a virgin birth, and the fact that you've baptized, saved, sanctified, redeemed, that every mistake you've ever made in your life is washed clean, that makes you weird. Look your neighbor real quick, say weirdo. To the world, to the world, and now you have one opportunity to redeem it, and you're going to bypass it, you're going to be weirder. You're going to be weirder. Weirder than, like, oh, Walking down the house, shielding your kids' eyes because they got cobwebs out the front. An inflatable. An inflatable. Jeez. I just feel like we've got to, we're going to stop calling unclean. And I'm not saying the world is clean, the world is filthy, but God called you to go into the world. In fact, didn't. God doesn't call you to clean the world. He calls you to catch the world. We've got Christians out here trying to clean the world. He didn't say, I'll make you cleaners of men. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. I will, I'm calling you to be a catcher. That's what he said to Peter. Peter understood that much. Peter understood very clearly that his job was to catch people, to go into where the people are, begin to catch them, say, hey, we're not as weird as you think. We probably are, but come anyway, because you're pretty weird. I've lived next to you for a few years. Your neighbor's weird. The way they do their trash, the way they do their trash, leave it out another day. How many people hate that, by the way? I'm trying to make my street look nice. But let's get over that and let's come to church. And the truth is, you've tried to clean them before you catch them. You're trying to get them off Halloween so they look like a Christian. Now they're going to be a candidate for Christ. Get down. I'm not done yet. What are you getting up for? I'm not even halfway through. Go take five. Take five. Take five. Go sit down. Get out of that booth. I know what that means. That means wrap it up. Where is he hiding? He's just going to hide back there? Yeah, you are. You're going to hide back there. You might as well sit on the stage. Get, pop a squat for a second. I'm here. I'm here. I think we've got 80%. Use it to move toward people. In fact, this was, this was, this was, this is what Peter had to face. Here he is just having a moment with Jesus as he brings the gospel into Cornelius' home, the Holy Spirit like literally just blows the place up. 
pot. People start speaking in unknown languages. They're having like a revival meeting. He's like, this is incredible. If you were in the room, it was a good place to be. You saw God for the first time out of their mindset, out of their frame of mind, their paradigm that they had boxed God around. He begins to break out of their nice, neat religious box. And all of a sudden, beyond their theological explanation, God is showing up in the home of Gentiles messing up their doctrine, obliterating their theology. He walks out of that place. And the next thing is the Christians want to know why. Why? Why did you put a spider inflatable at the front of your house? (laughs) We're Christians. We do Christmas lights. That's what we do. (laughs) Get off it, Adam. Get off it. Okay. He had to explain. had to explain him. So that's what, that's what Acts 11 is. See, Acts 10 is Peter explained. Acts 11 is explained. No, no, the other way around. Yeah, Acts 10 is explaining Peter. Acts 11 is Peter explaining <laughs> his actions, his steps, what was going on in his frame of mind, his thought to even engage. And I love it what it says here in verse 18. It says, when the others heard this, the Christians, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal. What happened? What happened? Well, I'm convinced that most of us, well, the reason most of us are intimidated by the idea of evangelism is because we're aware that, that we don't know how to correctly articulate the theological explanation of all of this and wouldn't consider ourselves competent as an evangelist or have a story significant enough that would convince people, so therefore we just back right out and just live clean lives. And live clean lives. But Peter didn't come to them at one point through this whole passage and explain theologically what happened. He didn't give them a doctoral dissertation around how... The Holy Spirit went from us chosen cleanies to the Gentiles. He didn't give them a synopsis that would be found in Scripture or any correlation to anything. He, he pretty much just explained what happened. Like, chapter 11 could be excused as a redundant chapter because he literally just repeats what happened in chapter 10. But I love it because what we find here in my mind is exactly the pathway that God is calling most of us to is in the moment where we think we need the competency level of explaining theologically how Christ's grace works in somebody's life and what makes them a candidate for God and all the doctrinal nuances of what we're meant to do as an evangelist. You get to bypass all of that and simply explain what happened to you. Like just what happened? Not the moment, but all the little moments and what's still happening in your life would be a great place to start. Because maybe you don't have the Paul example, well, I was here, I was murdering people, but then now I'm nice. No, it didn't, you don't have that, but, but, you, but there was a moment where you got set free from that and, and, and there was, maybe it wasn't drugs, but, but maybe, maybe, it was, maybe it was thoughts and maybe it was a series of things and it wasn't just one moment, but over my life, I've seen how God has taken me just as I was and if God can take me as I was, He can take you as you are and together we can go on this journey called freedom. Just explain it. Just explain it. Just explain it. Just explain it. It's the greatest evangelism tool isn't having a crazy backstory, but a a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit. A genuine one. Just one that 
You can explain this is how Peter found the boldness. In fact, back in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he began to explain. And 3,000 people, came. He, he just began to explain who Christ was and what Christ had done in his life. You can come back now. <laughs> Forgot about that. I'm talking to all the five girls that just came out of an incredible conference where God set you free of some things. And while maybe you don't have a testimony of being abducted, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, spending years in prison, being falsely accused, you have a story of some stuff God did this weekend. It's Monday tomorrow if you need a reminding. And Monday's a gift you to simply explain what God did on Sunday. It's literally a gift. Instead of getting after church going, oh, Monday, emails, people, meetings, and freaking out about your week, just anticipate the conversations you might just get. Where you could explain what happened. I don't have to have the theological words or analogies, connections to make it real for you, but, but I can explain what happened to me on this weekend. God did some stuff. Well, you don't have an experience with, with the grace of God, maybe in such a way that you could articulate it with poetic words. You, you can talk about the fact that you were shameful, but now you don't have shame. You can talk about how God's been restoring hope, how God's been setting you free from the lies you have believed that you could simply explain. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm trying to empower our church as a community, anticipating that God is moving us into an incredible season of growth. I feel so strongly in my spirit, we are in revival times. I feel like God is stirring the waters. He's setting some, some, some places. Literally, I, I feel like this move into the building is like God building a, 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 a fireplace. A fireplace. A fireplace. Because revival is like fire. If you take fire and we just light it on the stage, it becomes destructive because there was no place dedicated for it. That's what a building can be like. It's a place where we can maintain the heat and we can bring people in and they can be warmed by the fire. They can be fed by the fire. We can feed the fire, but, but it's not just gonna tear the place down because people get weird about it. We're gonna have a place of revival and I feel like revival's coming, but I know that it's not just for us. Revival isn't just for us to feel things. It's to transform the world. And if we aren't equipped with the story and the tools to simply explain what God's doing, it would be useless to have revival at all. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.